The auditorium is filled with parents, with grandparents, with aunts, and with uncles and brothers and sisters for the annual school program, Christmas program. The children come out on stage and they begin to sing those Christmas carols that many of us are familiar with. I'm dreaming of a white Christmas, Frosty the Snowman, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, and the children come on stage for a a drama entitled Santa Claus is Coming to Town. The drama depicts children being naughty and nice and mistletoe and decorations and Christmas trees and presents and, of course, Santa Claus is there. And then the program closes and everybody applauds. Then the principal stands up and wishes everybody a very Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. And everybody leaves that auditorium with their eyes and their ears filled with the sights and the sounds of the holiday, feeling as if they've experienced Christmas in a special way. And I've wondered, because many of us have been in those settings, have any of them really experienced anything of Christmas or under Stand what Christmas is all about, if that's all that Christmas is. And I have to conclude that not really. They've experienced some of the good sights and the sounds of the holiday, but not really having experienced Christmas in any way, the true meaning of Christmas. I mean, here are children that are singing and acting out holiday themes, and, and maybe there are even some religious themes like a manger and a, and a baby and, and wise men, but absence of real explanation of Christmas. And I thought, here are people who are so close to Christmas, but they're so far from the Christ of Christmas because he never enters into the scene or the picture. And so as we consider Christmas... Is it just the manger? Is it just the cradle? Is it the angels? Is it the wise men? It is God becoming man. It's that, but it's more than that when we consider what Christmas is all about. And Philippians chapter 2 brings to light for us the full scope and I believe the full meaning of Christmas as we need to understand it. And So as to not miss the real meaning of Christmas, we want to take a few moments this morning and we want to look at Philippians chapter 2 to understand the full scope and the implication of what it truly means to experience Christmas and Christ coming to earth. And so turn in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2 and if you don't have a Bible, raise your hands and one of our ushers will loan you one. This is a fabulous and intense passage of Scripture. It's in Philippians chapter 2 that we have one of the greatest explanations in the Bible of who the baby born in the manger is and, and what he came to do for us. This is really the foundation of everything that we believe in and hold to be true as followers of Jesus Christ as Christians. Philippians chapter 2 is key to our faith and is foundational to what we believe. And so here's the question. What more should I be knowing or understanding about Christmas? And here it is. It is all about living humbly, living sacrificially, and living victoriously. 
in light of the example that Jesus Christ has left for us. Notice Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. Paul is writing to the church at Philippi and he begins and he he says there in verse 5 of chapter 2, he says, Have this mind among yourselves which is yours in Christ Jesus. Or as the NIV says, your attitude should be this. It should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Your attitude, your mind should be the same as Christ Jesus. And then Paul goes on to explain the implications of that. And you know, we don't have to wonder how God wants us to live our lives because Jesus is our model. As we hear Paul saying, have this mind, have this attitude, be predisposed to living in this way, in this fashion. And the example for us is the person of Jesus Christ. Our attitudes and actions should reflect the example of Jesus Christ. And we see this beautifully portrayed for us in the cradle, the cross, and the crown. Notice very first, the cradle is our example of a life that is being lived humbly. Notice verses 6 and 7 of Philippians chapter 2 as Paul goes on. He says, here is the the example, here's the mind that you should have, here's the attitudes that that you need to hold true and, and live by. And then he says, who though he was in the form of God, this is Jesus, or the NIV says, the very nature, the very nature of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but humbled himself, humbled himself. He made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. He made himself nothing, taking the form of men. Jesus voluntarily laid aside his rights, his privileges, as God when he came to earth to be born in a manger, in a cradle. Okay? Interesting. When Richard Nixon was the President of the United States, he said in a speech that the greatest moment in human history was when man walked on the moon. Well, Billy Graham heard that. And Billy Graham, in his very pointed and humble fashion, later went to Richard Nixon and said, With all due respect, sir, the greatest moment in history was not when man walked on the moon, but when God walked on the earth. And that's so true. That's the greatest moment in history when Jesus Christ came to be born in a manger, in a cradle. When Jesus was born in that manger as as the baby and then walked this earth, we need to understand that he was fully God. He was equal with God and he was equally God in every way. He didn't lose anything. Jesus willingly released all of his personal rights and privileges to become fully man and to wrap himself in garments of of flesh and to experience being fully human. He chose to lay aside and give up the privileges of God. He laid it aside for you and for me. I I mean, have you ever stopped to wonder what it must have been like for Jesus to leave the, the holiness, the majesty, the glory of heaven and come to this earth? I mean, have you stopped to think about that? Here was Jesus Christ. Here was God 
deciding, choosing to leave all that heaven had to come to this earth and to be confined to a human body, susceptible to all of the human frailties of pain and hunger and fatigue, betrayal, and then ultimately death. And to come into a world filled with so much despair and hurt and heartache. And if that's not an example of choosing to live humbly, I don't know what is. But Jesus chose to do that for you and for me. There are countless stories of of individuals that have willingly left fame and and prestige and honor and riches for a life of, of humble service to others. But no one has left and given up as much as Jesus Christ was willing to give up and to be born in a manger, in a cradle. You know, it's amazing to me that God knew everything that would happen to His Son and God was still willing, still willing to place Him at the mercy of the world's inhumanity and to know that that multitudes in every generation would not believe or even care and yet God still chose to send His Son and His Son was willing to still come to this earth. Willing to take on the, the form of humanity. Look at verse 6. Jesus was willing to not grasp, it says, or to hold on tightly to the privileges of being God. But He willingly released those because of love for you and for me. And to live humbly, to live meekly, and to be susceptible to all the things that the world would do to Him. Incredible. God was giving to us in His Son what we didn't deserve. And for me, that's a great picture of grace. God giving to us what we don't deserve. We didn't deserve His Son, but God chose to give His Son to us. That was the message of the angels to the shepherds in Luke chapter 2, and verses 10 and 11, where the angels said, Behold, I bring you not just news, but I bring you good news of not just joy, but of great joy. That will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. That's what Jesus did for us. That's what God was willing to give to us. So that we could have life and forgiveness of sins. You see, Jesus went from sovereignty and honor and glory to a life of humbly serving others because of His love for you and for me. Look at verse 7. But He made Himself nothing. Absolutely nothing. Taking the form of a servant. That was His predisposition when He came to this earth. To make Himself nothing and surrender His will to the Father's will and to become a servant in our midst. In Matthew chapter 20, verse 28, Jesus said that the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give His life as a ransom for many. Humble service. I mean, here was God coming after a creation. Coming after you and me that had continually rejected Him and His love. It's hard for me to get my arms around that and understand that. I can't imagine coming into a world that didn't want to be, to be saved or to be served. Except for the fact that God loved us so very much that He was willing to send His Son and Jesus was willing to come and carry all of that. You know, who of us would want to go to a place where we're not welcomed? 
or where people don't want to be served. It wouldn't take an incredible amount, it would take an incredible amount of humility and grace and love to go to some place where you weren't welcomed and where what you had to offer was going to be rejected. You know, there were two things that Jesus could not do before he took on the form of humanity. Two things. He could not suffer and he could not die. But now these were things that he could do and would willingly do for you and for me because he humbled himself. He would know suffering as no one had ever known suffering before. He would know death, even the most despicable death of a criminal. He experienced the humility of humbling himself to the point of death because of love for you and for me. Coming into a world that that didn't want him, that didn't want to be served, that didn't want to hear the message he had to give to us, but he was still willing to go. Have this mind and attitude amongst yourselves. Follow the example of Jesus Christ as you humbly serve others. You know, as followers of Jesus Christ, I don't know that any of us will be called to die for our faith. But that could happen. But what I do know is that we are called to live a life of humble services as Jesus had called, as he's called us to do for others. And even though that we might be rejected of our efforts, we still need to serve. I remember leading a missions work trip to the East Coast following Hurricane Hugo that hit South Carolina in 1989 quite a few years ago. We were working with a Christian relief organization at that time, and we were repairing roofs and picking up debris and doing whatever we could for families that had lost a lot and some that had lost everything. And we came upon one house, and and they knew that we were a high school church youth group and that we were representing this, this Christian relief organization. And I remember our team of high school students with other adults walked up to this house and we had shovels and rakes and we had our hammers and we were ready to do whatever needed to be done. And I remember this couple coming out of this house that was in absolute disrepair because of the hurricane. They came out to us and once they knew that we were a church group, they said, we don't want your help. And we don't want your religion. And I'm standing there, I'm going, here we are. We want to serve you. We want, we want to help you. But they had such animosity and hatred for Christians and for God and for Jesus Christ. That they said, we don't want your help. And we don't want your religion. We don't want you to do anything for us. As much as we tried and as as genuine as our hearts were, they said, leave us alone. And I stood there in absolute amazement. And as I think back now to that event, I'm going, as hurt as I was, because our intents were genuine. Our desire was based on a love for these people who were in desperate need. But yet they said, no, thank you. We don't want your help. And I thought, here was Jesus Christ, who came into this world, wrapped himself in the garments of flesh, to humbly serve you and serve me, to share with us the good news that he has for us of sins forgiven and the hope of heaven, and how humanity, his creation, has said, no thanks. I don't want your help. I don't want you. I don't want your religion. 
and the kind of heartache and hurt that that must have caused Christ. To think about the ones that he loved the most were the ones that rejected him. I'm thankful that Jesus didn't, when he was rejected, turn his back and go, fine, leave you to yourself. But Jesus, as that humble servant who came in the form of humanity, was willing to give up himself in humble service to us. That's our example. That's what we need to be doing. The cradle is our example of living humbly and being a servant to others, whether they deserve it or not, whether they want it or not. Galatians chapter 5, verse 13 says, Through love we should serve one another. That's the predisposition we should have. Serving one another. That's what Christmas is all about. The cradle is about humbly serving one another. Now, when we think about Christmas, it really makes no sense without the cross. Right? Have you thought about that? Christmas really makes no sense without the cross. Have you ever thought about the reality of if we just had Christmas but no cross? And what that would have meant. The beauty and the tranquility of the manger and the cradle are really in the shadow. In the shadow of the cruelty of the cross. Jesus was born to die. He voluntarily went to a cross and he laid down his life for us. He didn't have to. But he chose to live his life sacrificially for us as a a servant and our Savior giving to us what we don't deserve or, or what we may not even want. That leads us to the second point here, the cross. The cross is is our example of living sacrificially. The cradle is about living humbly. The cross is about living sacrificially. Notice verse 8 of Philippians chapter 2. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. You can't have Christmas without the cross. You can't have the cradle without the cross. The death of Jesus was no accident. Jesus came for the purpose to die on a cross in our place. Peter captures this beautifully in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18, where he says, For Christ died for our sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous. What? To bring us to God. Jesus Christ came. To sacrificially live his life for us. To give of himself to us. To make us right with God. To walk with us through anything and everything. He has set the example for us to live lives sacrificially for others. He gave up so that we might have. My dad was somebody who lived his life sacrificially. He was someone who lived to serve others. He served his church. He served in his community. He was always looking for opportunities to give of himself to help and to serve others. I wish you could have known him. Because he's a great example of a man that had a heart of of sacrificial service. He was a very successful business owner and he, and he gave much of what he made away. Now, I didn't realize just how sacrificially he lived until after my dad's passing 
my brother and I were going through the stuff in his office, in his home, and we were cleaning out my dad's office, and we came across a number of things, and we came across several boxes of his canceled checks when, you know, people used to hang on to those canceled checks. And my brother and I, out of curiosity, began to go through some of those canceled checks. And it absolutely blew my brother Kurt and I away when we saw the amount of money that my dad gave away to his church, to missionaries, to mission organizations, to others that we knew were in need. It just blew our mind. He lived a life of sacrificially giving of himself to others. An incredible example of what it means to live sacrificially. And Jesus Christ is calling us to live a sacrificial life of service to others. Now, the expectation is not that we be giving everything away, but God may be laying on your heart to be doing something more than what you might be doing because Christmas is really all about what God has called us to do. And we have the example for us in the person of Jesus Christ. Christmas is about living and serving humbly and sacrificially. And the reality is that when we live the realities of Christmas, there is a reward, there is a victory that only comes with a heart that is surrendered to Jesus Christ. And that leads us to the crown, which is our example of living victoriously. We have the cradle, we have the cross, we have the crown, and connected to that crown is His coming. Look at verses 9, 10, and 11 of Philippians chapter 2 where it reads there, Therefore, and when we ever come across to therefore, we ask the question, what? What is it therefore? Therefore, because of all that Jesus Christ has done, the way in which he's lived his life as an example for us, it says, therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The cross was not the end for Jesus. Amen? It was only the beginning. He came as a babe to a cradle, but now he wears a crown. The cross was once an object of shame. But now it has become a symbol of his glory and victory over death and Satan and his control and power over the world in our lives. One day, one day, every person on earth will know the truth. They will know it. When Jesus first came to earth, it was as a baby in a manger. But when he comes back, It will be as a victorious king. And all of creation, not some, but all of creation, will acknowledge and know the King of kings and the Lord of lords better to live a surrendered life for Him now than to have to be forced to bend a knee at some time in the future. You see, God loves to lift up those lives that are contrite and humble in spirit. And willing and desirous of of humbly and those who are desirous and humbly sacrificing of themselves for others. We are told in the book of Galatians chapter 6 verses 9 and 10. Let us not grow weary in doing good. For the scripture says for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then 
as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Let us do good. Let us live humbly, sacrificially, victoriously with the realities of what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ and how God loves to lift up in due time those who have surrendered their lives to Him and who are serving Him with passion and desire. And this church, Harvest Bible Chapel Peoria, this church has been doing just that and more. You see, the antidote to greed and selfishness, the antidote to that is service and giving to others. The reason why I believe that God has so blessed this church is because we have a congregation, we have people, we have leaders that are consumed with serving others. To hear the stories of the past several weeks from many of our small groups and the ways in which they have come alongside those who are in need within their own community or in other places has just blown me away. The response that we had with Project Angel Tree, a congregation that cares about people, Earlier in this last year, back in August and September, the backpacks that we gave away to kids in East Peoria, a congregation that serves and is willing to give to others, the families that are in need and who have been struggling through things, the way in which members of this congregation and our small groups have come around them to minister to them, to give to them, has been an absolutely incredible thing to see happening. Why is God blessing harvest? I think it's because we're serving with great humility and sacrifice. You see, that's what we're called to do. We are called to humbly, sacrificially serve others as Jesus Christ did the same for us. The God of love, the God of grace, the God of mercy is watching over you. He has incredible honor and glory in store for you as you embrace His Son, Jesus Christ, as your Savior. And as you humbly, sacrificially give and serve others, entrust yourself to Him if you haven't. And what He will do is He will exalt you at the proper time, in due time. In 1962... Missionaries named Don and Carol Richardson went to New Guinea to bring the good news of Jesus Christ to a group of people known as the Swahi. The Swahi were a headhunting cannibalistic tribe. He wrote a book about his experience called Peace Child. Anybody familiar with that? It's a great book. You need to pick it up and read it. He began his work among the Swahi by reading through the Gospel of Matthew to the tribesmen. But to his dismay, when he got to the part of Judas Iscariot, betraying Jesus Christ, everyone in that tribe cheered. And he's going, I don't get it. I don't understand. He didn't realize that their culture was built around treachery. The one who was the most devious in that tribe was the one who had the most respect in the tribe. The missionaries searched for every possible means to explain the greatness of God's gift of truth and pure love to a people whose, whose values were based on deceit. And then one day he witnessed this incredible 
solemn ceremony between two warring tribes. One of the chiefs walked over to the other and handed him a child. In fact, it was the chief's own son. Their custom had been that that peace could come between two tribes only if the chief of one of the tribes would give his son over to the people of the other tribe. Hence, he was called the peace child. The chief would place his own son in the hands of a people who hated him and had been his enemies. It was the only way for those tribes to have peace between them. It was at that point that Don Richardson said, Aha, I understand. And the message is clear to them as it is to us. And it's what an incredible picture that that can help us understand what God has done for us. He's given us His peace child. And that peace child is who? It's Jesus Christ. God has given to us His peace child. God has given to this world, into the hostile world, In order to bring the hostility and separation between us and God to an end, God sent us His peace child. God in His grace has given us what we don't deserve. His peace child. Jesus Christ. The angel said at His birth, Peace on earth, goodwill to men. The world said, Crucify Him. Crucify Him crucify him God said this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased receive him accept him bring him into your heart and life so that you can live the kind of life that God has designed you to live to live humbly to live sacrificially and to live with a sense of opportunity and victory as you walk with Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior That's the message of Christmas. It's so much more than just the manger and the decorations. The message and the meaning of Christmas is the cradle, the cross, and the crown. But it's also His coming. And He is coming back to receive us to Himself. Would you pray with me?